The Book of Jonah, a subversive story about a rebellious prophet who hates God for loving his enemies. Jonah's unique among the prophets of the Old Testament because they're typically collections of God's words spoken through the prophet. But this book doesn't actually focus on the words of the prophet. Rather, it's a story about a prophet a really mean and nasty prophet. Jonah appears only one other time in the Old Testament. It's during the reign of Jeroboam II, one of Israel's worst kings. And Jonah prophesied in his favor, promising that he would win a battle and regain all this territory on Israel's northern border. Now, it's important to know that the prophet Amos also confronted Jeroboam, and through him, God specifically reversed Jonah's prophecy, promising that Jeroboam would lose all of those same territories because he was so horrible. So before the story of Jonah even begins, we are suspicious of Jonah's character. The book of Jonah has a beautiful design with all this literary pairing and symmetry. So you have chapters 1 and 3 telling the story of Jonah's encounter with non-Israelites, first with some sailors and then with Jonah's hated enemies, the Ninevites. And each part offers a comic contrast between Jonah's selfishness and the pagan's humility and repentance. Chapters 2 and 4 contain prayers of Jonah. One is a prayer of repentance, kind of, and the other is a prayer in which Jonah chews out God for being too nice. Now, this careful design of the book is matched by a really unique style of narration. The story is full of all of these stereotyped characters who, ironically, do the exact opposite of what you think they would do. So you have the prophet, the man of God, who rebels and hates his own God. You have the sailors who are supposed to be really immoral, but actually they have soft, repentant hearts and turn to God in humility. You have the king of the most powerful, murderous empire on the planet, and he humbles himself before God because of Jonah's five-word sermon, and even the king's cows repent. This kind of story fits what today we would call satire. These are stories about well-known figures who are placed in extreme circumstances, and they use humor and irony to critique their stupidity and character flaws. Let's just dive in and we'll see how all the pieces work together. The story opens as God addresses Jonah and commissions him to go preach against the evil and injustice in Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, Israel's bitter enemy. But instead of going east to Nineveh, Jonah goes in the opposite direction, finding a ship going as far west as you can go to Tarshish. Now the big question here is why? Why does Jonah run? Is he afraid? Does he just not like Ninevites? And we're not told yet. So the man of God tries to run from God, and he boards a ship full of pagan sailors. He goes down into the ship, and then he falls asleep. So God sends a huge storm to wake up his prophet, while ironically the sailors above board are wide awake to everything that's happening. They can discern that there's a divine power at work here. So they throw the dice, and they discover that Jonah, he is the culprit. So they ask Jonah to explain himself, and Jonah spouts off a whole bunch of religious mumbo-jumbo. He says, yeah, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God who made the sea and the dry land. What a joke, right? God made the sea and the dry land all right, and Jonah's dumb enough to run from this God by getting on a boat? And when the sailors ask Jonah what they should do, he says, kill me, right, by throwing me overboard, which kind of seems noble at first until you realize this could actually be his most selfish move yet. I mean, what better way to avoid going to Nineveh? So he puts his blood on these innocent sailors' hands by trying to force them to kill him. They're reluctant, of course, and they repent to God even as they toss him over. 
the storm subsides and they end up fearing the God of Israel. And unlike Jonah, they actually worship God. But God foils Jonah's plans to escape Nineveh. As Jonah's sinking, God provides this strange watery tomb for him, the stomach of a large fish. Now, of course, under normal circumstances, this would be certain death. But in this story, everything's upside down. And so Jonah's submarine death becomes his passage back to life. Cramped in the stomach of this beast, Jonah utters a prayer where he never technically says that he's sorry, but he does thank God for not abandoning him. And he promises that he will obey God from this point on, no matter what. And God's response is quite comic. The whale vomits Jonah back onto dry land. So once again, God commissions Jonah to go and preach in Nineveh, and Jonah complies. We're told that Nineveh was a gigantic city. It would take days to walk through. So Jonah gets one day in, and here is his message. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. It's five words in Hebrew. Now, his sermon is very short, and it's also odd. I mean, look at what's missing. There's no mention of what the Ninevites have done wrong or of what they should do to respond. There's no mention of who might overturn them. And most noticeable, there's no mention of God. What's going on here? Has Jonah intentionally given the bare minimum of information? It's like he's trying to sabotage his own message or ensure the Ninevites' destruction. There's just no effort on Jonah's part here. Whatever his motives are, the plan doesn't work. Because no sooner does he utter this five-word sermon that the king of Nineveh, the entire city, including all its cows, repent in sorrow and ashes. So for the second time, these evil pagans show themselves to be more responsive than God's own prophet. So God forgives the Ninevites, and he doesn't bring destruction on the city. Now, here's the brilliant part of the story. The last word of Jonah's short sermon, overturned, means just that, turned over. And it can refer to a city being overthrown or destroyed, like Sodom and Gomorrah, but it can also be used of something being transformed, like turned over and changed into its opposite. And so, comically, Jonah's words actually came true, but not in the way that he intended. Nineveh does get turned over as Jonah's enemies repent and find God's mercy. The final chapter brings all the pieces together. Jonah, he's fuming mad, and he utters his second prayer. He first tells God why he ran away back in chapter 1. It was not because he was afraid. Rather, it was because he knew that God was so merciful. And this is great. Jonah actually quotes God's own description of himself from the book of Exodus, and he throws it back in God's face as an insult. He says he knew that God is compassionate and that he would find some way to forgive these horrible Ninevites. You can just hear the disgust in Jonah's voice. Jonah then cuts off the conversation, and he prays that God would kill him on the spot. He'd rather die than live with the God who forgives his enemies. Fortunate for Jonah, God doesn't comply and simply asks if Jonah's anger is even justified. Jonah ignores the question, and he goes outside the city to camp on a nearby hill, waiting to see what might happen. You know, the Ninevites might repent of their repentance and get roasted after all. What happens next is very odd. God provides this viney plant to shade Jonah from the sun, and that makes him quite happy. But then God sends a tiny worm to eat up the plant, and so Jonah loses his shade. And there, in the heat of the sun, Jonah asks again that God kill him. So God, again, asks Jonah if his anger is justified, and Jonah barks back, absolutely just let me die. And those are Jonah's last words in the story. God's final words are what concludes the book. 
He says that this whole vine incident was an attempt to get through to Jonah, right? Jonah got all concerned and emotional over this vine, which he only enjoyed for a day. And God asked Jonah, you know, aren't humans a bit more valuable than vines? I mean, isn't it okay if God might feel the same kind of emotion and concern for the city of Nineveh that's full of thousands of people who have lost their way and also their cows? And that's how the book ends with God asking Jonah for permission to show mercy to his enemies. And what is Jonah's answer? The story doesn't say, because that's not the point. The point is that the book is trying to mess with you. And God's questions here are actually addressed to you, the reader. Are you okay with the fact that God loves your enemies? And so this book holds a mirror up to the one who reads it. In Jonah, we see the worst parts of our own character magnified, which should generate humility and gratitude that God would love his enemies and put up with the Jonah in all of us. And so this strange story actually becomes a message of good news about the wideness of God's mercy that ought to challenge us to the core. And that's the book of Jonah. Uh, get the lights back there, and we're going to get into the book of Jonah. Can you find the book of Jonah is the first question. Who, who, who's got that? Come on now. If you find it, that's half the battle. It's not, not, something, it's not something you go to every day. It's in the Minor Prophets, which are the last 12 books of the Old Testament. And they used to be all in one scroll. And now there are 12 individual books. Interesting, in the Hebrew, the book um, starts with the word and. So it's like and, as in a continuation of something. And uh, I think that what it shows us is that God's writing a whole book. A whole Bible. And these books, Jonah being one of them, are just a part of God's overall story and to get us to love him and to show us that he loves us. So let me read for us Jonah chapter 1. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 6. That'll be our food for today. 1 through 6. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, or Amittai, however you want to say it, saying... Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil, literally, it's a disaster, <laughs> has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled, I love that word, God hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up. 
Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Same word God said. Arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. All right. The title of the message, the series, obviously, is Jonah, Love Without Borders. And I think coming out of this political season we've been in, where if you say you're Republican, you're hated by Democrats, and if you say you're a Democrat, you're hated by Republicans, not all, but most, I think it's good for us as a church to really understand what God's mission is. So the title of the message tonight is, Wake Up, O Sleeper. <laughs> wake up, believer in Jesus Christ. Wake up. Wake up to what, Steve? Wake up to the fact that God's mission is love. God's mission is love. God's mission for you, God's mission for me, he wants us to love others, even our enemies, as we see in Jonah. So, let's get to it. You have the online bulletin in front of you? Who has the online bulletin in front of you? Good. All right. A few of you guys, and uh, hopefully you guys on the couch at home, watching online. We're expecting you to come back when we get to John Marshall, by the way. Um, we'll have plenty of space. It'll be COVID-friendly. It'll be great. Um, but I'm going to give you a bit of a, what I'll call a, a poem. It's like a sermon in a sentence. And it starts like this, verses 1 and 2. When God says go, when God says go, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, I have this boxed in my Bible. One word. Go! He told him to go. Now he told him where. That's helpful. If he just said go but didn't say where, it wouldn't be helpful. But he's like, go. Go to Nineveh. That is the problem. If he would have said go to Jeroboam II and tell him some more of the stuff you told him before, or tell him something different than Jonah was a patriarch. He was like, Dude, I'm all about Israel. Let's go. We're going to make Israel great again. It just comes to mind. <laughs> like, that's Jonah. Like, he's a patriarch. He's like, let's go. He's a patriot, excuse me. He, he, he's, he's like, let's go, Israel. So when God says, arise, go to Nineveh, and by the way, this is the first time God's asked anybody to go to somebody other than Israel or Judah <laughs> to go prophesy. So this isn't like normal. And it's not a normal book, which is why I think we're in it. It's unique, and it gives us a different message. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. It's vast. 
I don't know how God gets off calling Nineveh great. I'm just going to be honest with you. If you go read about the kings of Assyria and what they did to people, I don't want to get too graphic. We have kids in here. But think like decapitation. Think like losing limbs. Oh, not all four, just three, so they can shake your hand at the end. I mean, it's torturous. I think I've kept that enough high level. But Nineveh is not a great city, as in awesome to live in. It's not going to be number one in America on the list. If you get, catch my drift. But it's vast, and it has a lot of people, and God loves people. God created people in his own image, intellect, emotion, and will. God sent Jesus to save people. Not to save your dog, but to save your neighbor. So do we love our neighbor as much as we love our dog? You go, man, that's, that's really weird. <laughs> no, that's in Jonah. Later, he loves the plant more than he loves the people. And call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God's like, I can see it. I can smell it. It's in my face. These guys are evil. It's a disaster. Somebody needs to go help them out. Somebody needs to go tell them, I love them. They need to repent. Get on my page. I love them. All right. When God says go, here's the thing. Why did Jonah run? That's the next thing. When God says go, don't say no. But Jonah said no, didn't he? Jonah said, nah, I ain't doing that. I'm here talking to God. Unless we judge Jonah, think about your own life. We do that with God. God says, go tell your neighbor about Jesus. You're like, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> God says, go to church. Nah, I don't really want to. God says, give to the poor. Nah, I just, I don't have enough. God says things, and we kind of go, eh, not working for me. And I just, this passage is really convicting to me. As I read it, as I study it, I'm like, I am Jonah. It's like the end of the video. This book is written to us so that we can look at it in the mirror and go, man, I need to change. I need to do something different. When God says, go, don't say no, as in, why did Jonah run? Why did he say no? Because he calculated in his own mind, and we do this in ours. I'm like, okay, I got it. God's not good. That's not actually right. I'm going to do what I think is best. Because I've calculated it all up, and I know what's right. That's what Jonah was doing. 
He's like, I have a 100% chance of death if I go to Nineveh. I go, I say, repent, God's going to judge you. They cut one, cut two, cut three, shake right hand, and then they, it's over. He's like, I'm dead. And even if they by chance repent, I'm going to come home. No, I can't come home. Like, like, they won't let me back. So he's like, I have a 100% chance of death, which is probably why he's on a suicide mission the rest of the book. He's like, just kill me, God. And if you won't, I'll have these guys do it. Throw me in the ocean, right? When God says go, don't say no. You see it there, verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. Not a good idea. Do you think you can run from the presence of God? Where will you go? Where are you going to hide? Where God can't see you. Um, many of you guys know I, I used to be um, kind of spun up, tied up into pornography. And I think what's just so gross and, and weird about that is like, God's watching. If you really believe in God, if you really believe that God is almighty and he's omnipresent, then he's right there with you when you're sinning, whatever your sin may be. I think uh, Chris Osmus did an amazing job of preaching last week. Come out of the tomb. Stop doing that thing you do. Come on out. How did that go for you last week? Right? It's always fun to have somebody else preach so I can be like, hey, hey, it's not just me, right? It's other people saying, like, do this. We've got to change that. Did you do it? Did you think about it? Because, you know, preachers don't just get up here to just, like, spout off. They actually study the Word so that you actually will change. And that's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit right now. So, don't say no. There's a lot of buts in this passage. But God, but, but Jonah, but Jonah... Okay, so here's the next point. But if you do, when God says go, don't say no. But if you do, because we do, don't we? Are we sinners? Have you ever told God no? Well, no, I would never tell him to his face. <laughs> God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You've told God no. You have. I have. He's right here. He's right here right now. And we have a choice. Look at it in verse 3, the last half. Look what Jonah did. <laughs> but if you do, here's what Jonah did. He went down. This is like a downward spiral. If you've ever been caught in sin, you kind of know how this goes. It's like a flushing of a toilet. Just like circle the bowl, bit, and it's going to end up somewhere. Look at it. Look at it. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. Tarshish is like the furthest west he could go. 
He's supposed to be going to Nineveh, which is like the furthest east he could go. He's like, I will run the other direction. He goes down, ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Then just look at um, verse 5. Look in the middle of the passage there where it says, but. Just pick it up there. But Jonah had gone down. What do you think? Into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Jonah was doing one of these things. With his attitude, with his actions, he was like circling the toilet. And it was all about to get flushed. You ever been there? I'm getting a lot of blank stares. I've been there. I've been trapped, again, in pornography so much, it was like, why am I even thinking this? Why am I even... You go so far from the Lord that you don't think straight, you don't talk straight. It's a one big lie after another to yourself and to anyone else that will listen. If you're there, and you might be, there is no condemnation, right, first of all. And just remember Romans 5.8. Can we go back to that slide? Romans 5.8 says this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. God didn't save you because you went to church. God didn't save you because you were pretty good. God didn't save you because you grew up in a church family. Christ died for us. God sent Jesus, his only son, to die for you, a filthy sinner, me too, so that we could be free, completely free. So why would we think, well, God doesn't want to save my enemy? You were an enemy of God, and he came to save you. God wants to save your enemy. We are to love our enemy. So Jonah needs to wake up. He needs to get in the New Testament. All right? I mean, as it just, just Jonah just needs to like flip a few pages and get in the New Testament. But isn't that the, isn't that the irony? Isn't that the satire of the whole thing? He didn't have it. But you and I do. We have the Bible. We get to see the rest of the story, and we should not tell God no. But if you do, but if you do, here's the next point. He will pursue. God is a God of second chances. God is a chasing, a running God. You go look at the New Testament, at the prodigal son. And the prodigal son comes back from wasting all of his daddy's money and, his, and dad's sitting on the porch waiting for him. And as soon as he sees him, he runs. Would you know anything about the culture? That's not really a thing to do when you're an older man. Tuck your, you know, dress in your belt and start running. Don't, don't, don't do that. God is doing things that are not culturally acceptable. 
to us. He's running towards us when we don't deserve it. So, if God says go, don't say no. But if you do, he will pursue. Look at how he pursues Jonah in verse 4. But God hurled the Lord, Yahweh, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. I don't know why. I just can't. Every time I grin, every time I read that, the ship, because there's so much irony and there's so much like kind of weird stuff in here. It's like the ship, can you get the ship and you just look at the front of the ship, it kind of has a mouth. And it's like, I'm threatening you. I'm going to break up. I mean, that's what I think of when I read this. Because that's how crazy this book is. It's like, there's a big, big fish that's going to swallow somebody and then vomit them out. Like, it's almost like a cartoon. I think Disney made a cartoon of this thing. Pinocchio, right? They did it. So, it's almost like this, the front of the ship, you know, is just going to have like a, I'm going to break up. I read this stuff and I'm just like, what in the world? The ship was like creaking, cranking. It wasn't speaking, but it was saying everything it could to say, if you don't get this under control, I'm not going to make it through. Then the mariners, these are professional sailors. These are people that do this for a living. They've seen a storm before, but not like this, not like God's. They each cried out. They were afraid, first of all, which is not normal for a fisherman. And each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. You would never do that. That's your money source. Like, this has to be last-ditch effort. Like, throw everything over. Maybe a lighter boat will sail farther. I don't, like, like, I don't really get what's going on. But it's like they're doing everything they can do. See, the the fishermen are doing everything they can do to pursue life. God is doing everything he can do to pursue Jonah. And in the midst of him doing everything he can do to pursue Jonah, do you know what's happening? He's showing himself powerful and and, and true to unbelievers. And they're going to get saved. So here's what happens. In the life of a believer, you go through some storms. Because we're sinners, right? And God's going to like hurl a storm at you. And when he hurls a storm at you, you can pout, you can you know, kick and scream, you can have a lot of self-pity and doubt. And people are watching. I mean, people are watching. How's this going to go? And Jonah... He goes down, 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 down. It's almost like he's in this deep depression. He can't get out of bed. He's sleeping through it all. And the mariners are afraid, and they cry out to God, and God's pursuing, they cry out to their God, and they hurled the cargo over and all this stuff, but Jonah went down into the inner part of the ship, and he laid down, and he was fast asleep. When I read this every time, I, I, I played uh, college basketball, soccer and basketball, and I uh, actually worked uh, pretty much a 40-hour-a-week job 
and did that and went to college, which was insane. But it was like what I wanted to do. I wanted to play sports, and I needed to pay the bills. So I worked overnight, stocking shelves at a high V. I'd get off at 6 in the morning, and I'd go take a nap <laughs> or do homework if I needed to, and then I'd go to class either at 7 or 8 in the morning. By the time I got off of class, it's like 12, 1, eat lunch. Basketball practice starts at 3.30. So you catch a little cat nap, right? Or you do your homework, and then you go to basketball practice. When basketball practice is done, you eat dinner, and you go back, and it's, what, 7 o'clock probably? And you either do homework or sleep, and then at 10, I got to be to work. Now, here's the point of the story. We would go to games on Tuesdays and Fridays, Friday, Saturday. And here's what would happen. I could so relate to Jonah. I'd be so tired, so exhausted, mentally, emotionally, physically, even spiritually, that I would get into this 15-passenger van. We'd have two to a seat. And I would say to the guy that I was sitting by, I'd be like, I'll take the bottom right? I will get on the floor so you can have the whole seat and you can sleep up there. If you just, just let me take the floor. So I would lay down on the floor, dirty, grimy floor, and I would go out. We'd travel two, four hours to a game and I would be out. I and mean, we could get in a car accident. I don't think we ever did, but I don't know. It just, I would be lights out. That's what I think of. I think of like just how exhausted he was. And God pursued him. God came after him. God said, don't be depressed. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not, I'm going to teach you something here, Jonah. Something really profound. I'm going to come for you, and I'm going to show you something um, that's going to be awesome. And everybody else is going to see it too. Look at verse 6. This is the last verse. So the captain, so you got the mariners, you got the captain now, came and said to him, how did he know he's in the bottom? Like, don't you, when you read the word, you're like, well, how do you know? Because he took a head count, right? They're going to cast lots, and they're like, okay, one, two, three, four, how many sticks do we need to throw in the bag? And, you know. He comes down and he's like, hey, what do you mean, you sleeper? And just think of the prophetic word here from him. Arise! That's the same message God gave him. Now out of a pagan sailor's mouth comes the voice of God. Arise! What did Jonah think? Oh, man, I can't get away, right? Want to get away? Can't! Call out to your God. Perhaps the God. We're trying to figure which one we ticked off. You got yours. You got yours. We, you got, who are you praying for? Okay, like we all got our God. Who ticked off who? Way more spiritual people than we are. Understand spirits. Understand power. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us. 
that we may not perish. Maybe one of them will wake up and be like, oh, I'm sorry. Here's the thing. God is pursuing Jonah. And just like that, he's pursuing us as well. God pursues us. Even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. He's coming for us. Have you felt God coming for you this last week? Maybe it was a trial that he hurled at you, a storm, to get your attention. Hey, pay attention, I'm God. You need me. Maybe it was a blessing. Like some sunshine in Florida. That was kind of fun. It was a real blessing. I felt like God was, you know, hey, I'm here. I love you. Regardless if it's a trial or a blessing, God is pursuing you. Do you see it? Are you awake to it? Do you know there is a God? Not there's maybe the God will answer. It's like there is a God. The God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He loves you. Okay, so that's the last point. Cool. When God says go, don't say no. But if you do, He will pursue. He loves you. Flip over. Oh, well, you don't have to flip over. It's across the page. Look over at verse 2 of chapter 4. This will kind of give it away. And he prayed to the Lord. This is Jonah, because he was angry, so he started praying. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? So way back when he was in Galilee, Gath Hefer, right, where he lives, okay? Way back then, he's like, yeah, in my country, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Oh, this is why he's running. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Do you see that there? And relenting from disaster. Do you see that? God loves you. Jonah's like, I knew you loved me. I knew you loved everyone. I knew you loved them. And if I went and told them, they'd repent. And I didn't like it. Here's the thing. I just want to sum it up like this. I've been reading this book. This is called The Prodigal Prophet. It's about Jonah. And uh, I just want to read this for you because I think this really pricks my heart. God cares how we believers relate to and treat people who are deeply different from us. Let me say it again. God cares how we believers relate to and treat people who are deeply different than us. And he goes on and he says, preachers and teachers of the book, this book Jonah, usually overlook these sections, except perhaps to observe that we should be willing to take the gospel to foreign lands. That is certainly true, but it misses the further meaning of Jonah's interactions with these pagans. God wants us to treat people of different races and faiths in a way that is respectful, loving, generous, and just. I came to church today to say to you, God loves you. He loves you. But he doesn't just love you. He loves your coworker that you can't stand. He loves your neighbor that's a grouch. 
Don't cross my land. He loves your kid who's wayward. He loves. He loves all of us. And he doesn't love you more than he loves them. He loves. So how do we, this is the application, church. How do we love because he first loved us? How do we return to the New Testament, to the cross of Jesus Christ, and go, Jesus loves us so much that we must love. I am compelled to love all others. Whether they treat me well or not, whether it seems fair or not, I need to love them. This is the message of Jonah, and we're going to get more into it, but I just... I want to wrap our message up with communion. So you have communion right there in your, in your chair. Um, I want you to flip over to, just flip over quick to Matthew chapter 28. Because, you know, you might be like, God's never told me to go. You know, it's great, Jonah, yeah, you know, God said go to Nineveh, and he should have gone, that numbskull. (laughs) But God doesn't tell me to go. God's never spoken to me. God doesn't say, thus says the Lord. Actually, God's spoken to you more than he spoke to Jonah. He's said more words to you than he said to any of the prophets. And probably all the prophets put together. <laughs> we have the word of God. And, you know, I didn't have to search far since our mission comes from Matthew 28. The mission of our church is right from this verse. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. I want to end with this. I'm going to ask you guys, you can come up and, uh, and we'll get ready. To, we're going to sing. We're going to take communion. And he says this, and Jesus came and said to them, the disciples, which you're one of now, all authority in heaven and on earth. You know, I'm the one that calms the sea. I'm the one that takes care of you. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go. Same language. Go. And make disciples of all nations. People that don't look like you. People that don't act like you. People that don't talk like you. Make disciples of them. Of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them. Now you can't teach somebody that doesn't want to learn. So you're going to have to use some patience and some love to get to the point where they're like, oh, I want to be baptized. Yes, and I want to learn. And then when they want to learn, you teach them. Don't try to teach them before they're ready. Maybe that was a word for somebody in this room. Maybe you're not ready to hear this message yet. I'm not trying to offend you. I love you. Maybe it's a word for you later, and that's okay. But teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age.
See, the reason we can love and go and tell others is because Jesus is with us. And I want this body and this blood to represent that. Jesus is going to go with you this week. Last week you came out of the tomb. This week you're on a mission. You're going to go. You're going to tell others about Christ. You're going to invite them to a relationship with a loving father. You're going to do it in a loving, unoffensive way. Because that's what God's mission is. Wake up, church. God doesn't want us 50 people to be here next week. He wants us plus more. Wake up. God's mission is love. God's mission is love. I want to go love some people this week. How about you? We love because Christ first loved us. So let's take communion together. You know what? Sometimes it takes some time, doesn't it? So why don't you take communion on your own when you're ready? Take some time to confess. These guys will sing over us. And whenever you're ready, you can take the body, his body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Christ and his blood spilled for you. And just know that God is with you, that he loves you as you go out on the mission of love this week.